have a Bible with you today. You, if you didn't bring one, we've got one for you in the pews. That's on page 977. And today, especially because the text is a little bit longer, uh, somebody in the first servant joked, we might as well just read the entire uh, book of Ephesians. Really important that you have the Word of God in front of you as we unpack what it really means to be the body of Christ, as Paul's talking about here. And whenever I hear this text, it does remind me of a kid's song that I learned in Sunday school. I don't know if we're still doing this in our Sunday school card. Maybe you will can tell us here. Uh, but if you take your hands and you go like this and you make a little church steeple, okay, and the song goes like this, take a look at the church, here is the steeple, open the door, see all the people. Cute little song that actually has really, really good theology. Because according to God's word, the book of Ephesians, what the Apostle Paul is essentially saying is that even though as great as this building is, the physical space that we call our Father Lutheran Church and the beautiful architecture, the wonderful music, as good as that is, if this building should burn down tonight, the church would not die. Because you and us, we make up the church. It's the people who are the body of Christ. And what Paul is speaking to in this text is some very rich theology that speaks to us today. What does it mean for us that we're A, the body of Christ, and then how do we best live that out in the world in which we live? So if you look with me at chapter 3, verse 1, there's some things about the city of Ephesus, the culture, as well as the re religious makeup of that town that we need to know to really get to what Paul is getting at here. And in 3.1, he says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And we'll pause right there. Important to know what's going on here. Gentiles, if you're not familiar, means anybody who is not born uh, of Jew Jewish birth or has not converted to Judaism and is fulfilling the law of the Old Testament and living as a Jew in the city of Ephesus. And if you look at Acts chapter 19, you'll see that Paul actually spent close to two years in the city of Ephesus. And when he went to the town, he hung out in the synagogue and the temple, and at first he was accepted. They liked his teaching, but then pretty soon, it didn't last long, they actually removed Paul from the synagogue, and he spends the next 21 months ministering to, speaking to non-Jewish people. And that's how the church grew out of a handful of Jewish converts, but primarily non-Jewish people. And that's culturally significant because on top of that, in the city of Ephesus, you might think of Ephesus as kind of like a modern-day London, uh, New York City. It was very cosmopolitan. There was a lot of wealth, a lot of business uh, that went through the city of Ephesus. It was culturally diverse. It was ethnically diverse. Different languages were spoken. Different religions were practiced. It was a city where, practically speaking, they had way more things that could divide them than things that could unite them, bring them together. And it's those people that would have made up the very first church or churches, probably small house churches in the city of Ephesus to which Paul is writing to them from prison a couple years later after he built the church and spent all that time there. Culturally diverse, ethnically diverse, religiously diverse. That was the makeup of the church. And so then Paul continues. And as he is unpacking for us the theology behind the body of Christ, he uses this word mystery a few different times. It, it shows up in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. 
It shows up in verse 4. You can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ. And then finally in verse 6, he unpacks for us, he explains what he's talking about. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles, anybody who will, you know, us, basically, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, if you're a Christian here today, uh, you've heard this before. This is not shocking news to you, that you're included in this inheritance. If you were here last week, Pastor Abel unpacked for us what that meant. But if you're not a Christian here today, if you're exploring Christianity, if you came from a different uh, uh, background, faith-speaking, faith-wise, and especially if you were the first century, the very first people to hear this, this would have been extremely shocking news that God actually loves a group of people outside of your own particular brand of, Christ- or brand of religion. In fact, Roman culture, they, they had no words for God's actually loving humanity. God's in uh, the Greeks and the Roman, their gods, they actually pulled prank on, pranks on human beings. They teased human beings, but to say that God loves you, this is shocking, radical, culture-shaking news. And Paul says here, not only are you, despite your different backgrounds, one body, this mystery that he keeps talking about has something to do with the purpose of the body. Let's keep reading. In verse 7, he continues, and he, he talks about his calling. He says that I have been called for this very specific reason jump up with me to verse 9, to bring to light for everyone, again, not an individual, not a specific group of people, his job, Paul's calling, is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The plan for the mystery, what's he talking about? Well, also in this time, and in fact, for the next three, uh, three or four centuries, there was what Uh, theologians, what historians call pop-up mystery religions, all throughout Rome, all throughout the Roman Empire, and it went something like this. You would, first of all, proclaim that you are a prophet, that you're a priest, and that you've been given some sort of secret knowledge, something that only you have the secret answer to, and if you uh, buy their books on Amazon for like $99.99, if you sat at the feet of this particular prophet, if you did all these things, then the prophet could unlock for you in your mind the secret knowledge about the kingdom of God, and and then you would have this secret knowledge along with this person. This was a very big deal, a lot of pop-up mystery religions. And Paul uses that language intentionally to try to get people's attention. They would have heard of this, but then jump down with me through Uh, to verse 10, he's going to reveal this mystery for everyone so that through the church, the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Look at this text one more time. Verse 10. So that through the church, you, me, us, the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is incredible because what God is essentially saying, if you signed up to be a Christian, 
If you signed up to join us here at Our Father Lutheran Church, if God, through his Holy Spirit, when you were baptized and you became a believer in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you're walking down the street and the Holy Spirit just zapped you by his word and by his power, and now you believe that Jesus is your Savior, you are included in this, and your mission, sorry, our mission as the body of Christ is to literally proclaim to every authority on heaven and on earth this divine wisdom that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever shall believe in him will have eternal life, John 3:16. That is our mission through this body to point out that Jesus is the savior of the world. Now, some of you are sitting here today going, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> yes, you did, Paul says. You didn't know it, but yes, you did. You signed up for that because of what God has done for you in your heart, the transformation that you received when you first fell in love with Jesus. And I think this is a real problem for us because we have these obstacles in our faith, and, and this is unique you know, I've been to uh, different countries around the world. This is a unique American problem. One of the big obstacles for us, one of the big barriers, is that we can so easily approach our church life, our faith life, through the lens of an individual. We can approach our church life through the lens of an individual. It might look something like this. You know, think about why you're here today. Uh, why did you choose this church? Whether you're a member, whether you're coming here for the very first time, you know, people tell us that they appreciate our preaching, they like our, our style of music here, they like our kids' ministry, our youth ministry. There's an attractional side of the church that you can't get around. And look, you have my permission as one of your pastors. If we ever get to the point where our preaching is not a faithful exposition of the Word of God, you can leave this church because you should not come to a church that does not proclaim and preach the true Word of God. Go someplace else, find a church that does that. But if that's the only reason why you chose here, you're actually looking at this, your faith and, and this church through a very individualistic lens or mindset. And let's go even a little bit deeper here today. When you come to church, thinking about the fact that we're the body of Christ, do you ever think about the other people who are here? And here's what I mean. Uh, in the 1960s, there was a great television show called The Addams Family. And uh, my favorite character, I think we have a picture of it, was Thing. It was a hand. And this hand could somehow, you know, it didn't have eyes, but it could, it could somehow see, it could respond to, to, to things. In fact, I think uh, my favorite thing was he would always light the dad's cigar with his finger. That was kind of like the trick that Thing could do. But when we approach... Christianity, when we approach our faith as an individual, it's like we are just a hand walking into church, ear, you know, not even thinking about the fact that our body's not here. But the same thing is true when we aren't here, when we aren't a part of the body. And as an individual, you know, let's, let's, let's just be honest. And I, I did this to myself, you know, because I have to be here. I get paid to be here. So it's really easy for me to say this. But while we were on sabbatical, my, my family and I, this summer, I had to make choices. And I'll be honest to you, I'll confess to you that at the beginning of the week, I would look at our calendar and I would see all these different things that we got to do. We got to go on some family trips. We had some soccer tournaments. We had some fun times with neighbors and with friends. And oftentimes, I'd get to Saturday and I would go, oh man, I'm so tired. 
it would be so good just to sleep in tomorrow. Have you ever done that? Uncomfortable laugh. It is so easy in our culture, isn't it, to, to approach our faith, to approach the body of Christ through the lens of an individual where we put everything on our calendar before we put on the rhythm, the stone of being here as a body of Christ to, to receive what God has to give us, but also then to be a presence for the people who you are sitting next to. To continue the metaphor, other hands, other feet, other arms, other legs, other torsos. We can so easily approach our Christian faith through the lens of an individual. That is our obstacle Whenever we find an obstacle, then we want to also look to Scripture for the solution, for the, for the fix. And Paul gives us three things, just as we close here, some practical personal application for us, starting with, number one, uh, this beautiful Paul, uh, prayer of Paul in verse 14. Look with me there. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, and, and important language here, this is, Paul using language that we use here at Our Father, that we're one big happy family as well, you know, body of Christ, family of Christ. Every name in heaven and earth is named from the Father, and he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What an awesome prayer. Because I know that I'm not the only one who walked into church this morning with some anxieties or some worries or some things that feel out of control, some, some things that I don't have a, a touch, I'm not in touch with, that I, that I feel are just grasping through my fingers. And if, if I only did this and if I only did that, then maybe I can control this situation. That's worry. It's a doubt. It's, it's anxiety. And we brought those things in with us today. What Paul is praying for us as a body of Christ is that Christ would move into our heart and push out all those other things, that he would dwell inside our heart and give us the confidence and the hope that we so need in our life. That's the prayer. Now, here's the cool thing. It's one thing to pray that prayer for yourself. Look with me at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within who? Us. Not you, individual. The power that is at work within us, the church. What would it be like as a family of faith if we carried each other's burdens and if you knew that when you were gathered together as a body of Christ, your anxiety and your worries were being prayed for by your brother and sister, by your hand, by your foot, by the leg, to use the metaphor. There's power in the body, and when you're not here, the body is weakened. Which brings us to point number two, to do not neglect the body. So I'm 43 years old, and this just happens to be a year where God is reminding me that someday I'm going to die. I just had hernia surgery. Now my doctor is concerned that I've got perhaps thrombosis in my leg, so I gotta have some vein surgery later on, and if that wasn't enough, my stupid big toe I've got some sort of arthritis or osteo, something or rather. I'm not a medical professional, so forgive me, those of you who are. I've got to have some surgery on my toe. Three surgeries, one year. 
Well, part of the problem and part of the reason I'm faced with these dilemmas is because I have neglected my body. I haven't been listening to the things going on with my body. And I just now, after about three years of having pain in my body, go to the doctor. Men don't do that, by the way. I don't know why we do that, but we do. But don't neglect the body. And I'll say it again. Look, if, when you're not here, the body hurts. When you're not here to hear the word of God, to be reminded that you are eternally loved by God, to receive the sacraments, the body hurts. And at the same time, it's also true that there are people in this room today, and I can look out and I can see many of you, you're on our prayer list. And you've got spiritual struggles, physical struggles. Look, if you know somebody who is not here today that was before the pandemic, I want to encourage you, call them up, text them, reach out to them, let them know that they are missed and that they're valued because they're the part of the body of Christ that we're missing and that is not making us whole. It's, it's, we're not ourselves without those people. And in fact, you know, just last night I received a call from a member uh, named Marlene and she just was concerned about another member named Dory who was in the hospital and she said, I just want to make sure that Dory's being prayed for and being cared for. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's not just about ourselves as individuals. It's looking out for the whole body of Christ. And lastly, you know, if that's convicting, if you're sitting here going, boy, I hope I don't have to see Micah as I walk out the door, let's remember who is the head of the church. It's Christ. Go with me to Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, where Paul concludes this long set of scripture like this. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And here's the promise of the gospel. This is the good news that even when we fall short, if, you know, metaphorically speaking, figuratively speaking, an arm falls off and it's not here, it's actually Christ who picks it up and puts it back together. It's Christ who's going to come into your heart, who's going to meet you where you need him the most, who the second you ask for forgiveness is there to love you. And not, you know, sometimes people think of Jesus as like this guy waiting to just pound you and, and beat you down into morality. That's not Jesus. That's the law. That's us sometimes as Christians. What Jesus does is gently reach down and pick you up and bring you back in and he's the one that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need Jesus, the head of the body. We need Jesus, the head of the church, who's going to form in us and shape in us to be this incredible witness that goes out into the world and points people not to ourselves, not to our own greatness, but to the one who can bring transformational healing to every single person on this earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Let's look to Jesus.